Okay, this morning I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Uh, I think this is something um, that when when we don't function in the reality of who we are in Christ, right? Or in other words, when we don't have God's view of us, it's something we always seek. And the thing that we are constantly seeking, even being in Christ, and even when we fail, and unfortunately we all do, <laughs> we fail and we make mistakes and, and then we struggle. The reason for that is, and, and, and what that leads to is a desire once again to experience what? Being accepted, you know, and that's that's the thing that we that's the thing that we we begin to desire once again, is is to be continually accepted. We want to experience that, don't we? I mean, even when we fail, we want to experience the fact that we are accepted, right? I used to think that, you know, I used to think, well. I, w- I wouldn't understand, when I didn't understand what love was and is, what God is, and when I didn't sense or feel that I was being loved, okay, when I didn't feel that and I went by my emotions because I, I couldn't define and I was still learning what love was, um, I would always desire to want to be accepted. And I think that's the thing. You know, that we all desire the, the fact that we want to experience the reality of our position. And, and the reality is we've been positioned in Christ. We've been set in him. And that's our position in him. And, and he's working that, the truth of our position, and he's doing that in our experience. But he wants to give us, and all of us, all of us this morning, he wants to give us this assurance, this absolute assurance that we are not seeking, we are not to seek any more than we would once we're in Christ. Do we seek? Do we ask God to be forgiven? Is that what we're doing when we confess sin? We're not. We're not, we're not begging God and pleading for forgiveness. We're confessing that we already are. That's based upon a, on a position. And when that comes into an experiential reality, what does that bring us to? The place he's always bringing us to. It's freedom. And freedom is, is the place where we rest in his love. And so when we see this, and when we struggle, what we're struggling for is we just, we want to be accepted. And is there anything in us apart from Christ that we can go to and experience acceptance, and does not, right? So in Ephesians 1, verse 6, this is what it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Whose glory is involved in my acceptance? Whose grace, then, is involved in my acceptance? Listen to what it says. Wherein, wherein, he has made us, that's past tense, He has made us, what? Accepted in the beloved. We are accepted, whether we feel like it or not. Whether our emotions dictate to us or not. Whether our emotions are high or they're low. The fact is, we are already accepted in the beloved. 
And that's why, again, we've been saying, and God's been saying it for quite some time, is why he, he desires our obedience, because <laughs> it's, it's the experience of his love for us. It settles everything. The fact that, has Christ settled everything? As far as God's concerned, just between him and God, has Christ settled everything? Yep. Has he settled everything about those that are in him positionally? He settled everything. Every single thing is settled. And that's why it goes on to say in Ephesians 1 verse 7, in whom, in whom, that's position, we have redemption. We have it positionally, right? Are we experiencing it? In other words, are we having it in our proper experience? Because that's what the Greek really says here. It says, in whom we are having redemption. Through what? His blood, that sacrifice. The forgiveness of what? Sins. Do we already have that? We already have it, don't we? The forgiveness of sins. According to what? The riches of His grace, wherein He has abounded toward us in all what? Wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery, that, in other words, and, until he reveals it through the Holy Spirit, and we're, going to see, we're going to see the proof of the fact that we are sealed uh, this morning because we're accepted. And we're going to see what that seal means. But here in Ephesians 1 verse 9, it says, having made known unto us. That's our position. Do we know it? Are we experiencing it? is our present reality. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Something that wasn't known. Not that it's mysterious. It just wasn't known just then. There were times of ignorance. We see that in Acts 17 and verse 30. There were times of ignorance. But we do know the mystery of what? His will. Who is the fulfillment of the mystery of his will? That's what Jesus was saying and teaching his disciples in John 4, verse 34. He said, my very meat, my very sustenance is to do the will of him that sent me and to what? To finish the work. Is the work been finished in us positionally? Is that my continual experience? That's the key. And there's where we're growing. So you, you ever wonder why... And, and maybe sometimes when you're in fellowship with God and things are going great with you and you can see others and you just wonder, why, don't, why aren't they hungering after the word? Why aren't they hungering after fellowship? Well, and the, the answer for that is God has to create even that hunger. His grace does that. It's not legalism. It's not me being upset with someone who's not fellowshipping the way I think that they should, <laughs> right? Based upon where I'm at, then there becomes this comparison, which there never is in grace. And then we end up being suspicious of others. We don't trust them because there's suspicion. And is there any suspicion in love? Is there any suspicion in God? There isn't any. And so we see this, that having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to what? His good pleasure. Whose good pleasure? Who met that good pleasure of God the Father? It was Jesus Christ in John 8, verse 21. 
and in Romans 15, verse 3. And that's where you heard the voice of the Father at Jesus' baptism. He was entering into his public ministry. You imagine 30 years of obscurity and silence. Is it good to be alone with God? He was 30 years in total obscurity and silence. Then he was entering in upon his public three-and-a-half-year ministry. That's how long we see all his works that were published, everything that you see that he did, all through the synoptics, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even in John, was a period of three-and-a-half years. Every single thing that he did. But then you heard the voice of the Father. You saw the dove and symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. We're going to see what that is. Okay? That has to do with a seal. Yes, God the Holy Spirit sealing him. And you hear the voice of the Father. And then you hear this in Matthew 3 and verse 17. You hear it. And there he is. He's being baptized. Uh, and being set into his, his ministry, you hear the voice of the Father. The Holy Spirit is, is there present with the dove. And then God, the Son, in his humanity. They're all right there. And you hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And what does it say? Again, in, Ma in Matthew 17 and verse 5, Hear you him. Hear him. Not just hear it, but submit to him. And we see that, that sevenfold hearing even in Revelations, the second and third chapters. Four times in the second chapter, three times in the third chapter about the sevenfold complete hearing. And that's what we're doing, isn't it? What are we hearing? What are we submitting to? Who Christ is in the fact of how he positioned him, us and him, and him and ourselves. That's, we're coming to hear that so, and submit to it so that we can have a proper functioning image of what? What is it all about the image and that we so desire? We, we began by saying this. What's the thing that we so desire to know continually? What is it? Where we've been accepted. We have been accepted. Now, Remember, that was, that was in, in the beginning of his public three-and-a-half-year ministry where we saw, again, in Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. But you see, he was sealed. Was, was, did God seal the humanity of Christ? Did he seal it? What was that? What does the seal represent then? Even when he, because wasn't he a creation of God? A work of God created in a virgin, a 14-year-old little Mary peasant girl. In Luke 1, verse 35, he was created in her. And as a creation of God, when God does something, first of all, when God does something, how long does it last? Well, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14, it says, Whatsoever God does, he does what? Forever. You and I, as believers in Christ, have been accepted forever. Can't change it. Didn't earn it. It was all by grace in Ephesians 2, 8, right? Can't earn it. You got in. There's no getting out because God 
has sealed each and every single individual. And so we see this again, even with Christ in John the sixth chapter. And this is what it says in John chapter six and verse uh, 26. We'll read this. Jesus answered them. He's speaking to, he's speaking to them. And who is he speaking to? Well, you'll see. You'll see in the rest of that chapter, starting at verse 22. But here we are in verse 26 of John 6. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Some would seek him because they wanted something from him. They just didn't want him. Now here's verse 27. This is what he said. Labor not for that meat which perishes. In other words, everything that's outside of Christ is on its way to what? To perish, to be away with. It doesn't matter what it is. Any material thing, anything at all. Any thought that's not of his, right? Any emotion that wasn't a a good emotion as a result of good thoughts, they're all going to go away, thank God, right? They perish. So labor not for that. That perishes, but for that which endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give unto you. Notice that? He's going to give unto you. For him, look what it says, has God the Father what? Sealed. He sealed him. Now, when it says that, we can even go all the way. And when you read Song of Solomon, when you read that, just just know this, okay, that that has Christ all through it. It's a picture of Christ and his bride. In the form of individuals, yes, but they're just the types and reality of Christ. So when you read that, because all scripture has who is its one theme, it's Christ. It's Christ. Don't fall into the trap. That's why we have to be careful, even in the books that we go after, things that we study, because many will Judaize the church will just bring it way down to the earth and, and, and even in that sense humanize everything. And when we humanize things and when the enemy allows us to humanize things, what do we do? We lower Christ in our own experience. And, uh, but that's not who we are. It's not how he sees us. But here it is in Song of Solomon, the eighth chapter. Song of Solomon 8, verse 6 says this, Set me as a seal upon your heart. That means your will. That means your mind and emotions. That's what it means. Set me as a seal. Why? Why? Well, because I, because the Father sealed me in John 6, verse 27, and we're going to see in the Scriptures, and we're going to turn to the Scriptures, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 1, and verse 22, and in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, And in Ephesians 1, verse 13, which will equal the 14th verse, we have been sealed. Oh, boy. We've been sealed. So what he's saying and teaching us here is, is set me as a seal upon your will, your mind, your emotions, your will, your self-consciousness, and your conscience. Those five parts that make up the soul. Self-consciousness. Let me be the seal of that. Let me seal that. 
And as a seal upon your arm. What's that mean? Meaning every single thing that you do in me is completely accepted and approved of. <laughs> because that's what a seal, and we're going to see what that brings out this morning. Set me as a seal upon your arm. Everything you do, let it be with me as a seal upon you. And every single thing you do, doesn't matter what it is. For what? For what is the seal bringing out? Love. For love is as strong as death. How strong was God's love for us that he would give his son for us? Allow him to die and be our very life. And then God, the Holy Spirit, the moment that you and I received him as our Savior, he set his seal on us. Well, we're going to see the beauty of what that seal represents and what it means. And just think of what could, could death separate his love from us. It couldn't. For love is as strong as death. Look what it says. Jealousy is as cruel or really as hard as the grave. How should we interpret all these things if we don't know? The preponderance of all these scriptures that God gives us. Jealousy is strong. He was so jealousy, jealous in his love for us huh, that it didn't matter that he would go into the grave, that he would have to suffer death himself being separated. We see that even in the psalm that is written in the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of David in Psalm 22. It was written in the spirit of Christ in 22 verse 1, brought out in reality in fulfillment in Matthew 27 and verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the answer was, the answer God, the answer to Christ while he was on the cross is, my son, you have all their sins upon you. You're pure, but you're the sin sacrifice. And if I'm going to accept them, I have to reject you right now. Oh, God. Listen, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy, jealous love is as hard as the grave. Okay, as hard as it may be for the sufferings that he went through so that we would have the stamp and seal and approval, an unchanging stamp and seal of his love for us, he had to do what? He had to go through death and go into the grave. Look at what it says. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have a most vehement flame. And his love when we are sealed with him and when he truly is our all and no matter what we do, we have the seal of him upon our arm. The action of anything we do has to do with his love. If it doesn't, we, we don't even bother with it. We don't even think about it because it's not even who we are because the seal has to do with our individual image in Christ, no matter what. It has these, these coals are as a vehement fire. Do you remember what happened in Isaiah when Isaiah was mourning the death of, of King Isaiah, who reigned for 52 years? And he was mourning. And when he did, God opened up 
the, the, the constraint of time and let him just peer into eternity. And when he did, he saw the Lord. You know what he was doing? He was sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And everything about his beauty and majesty, that robe that we in type, filled the whole temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with two they covered their face. We've shared these before and what they meant. With two he covered his face, and, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And what the continual cry and worship towards one another was holy, holy, holy. <laughs> God. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an un a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then what happened? Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal <laughs> in his hand, which he had taken from off the uh, altar with those tongs, and he put it, laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. You know what the seal represents? That we're no longer our sins. They're dealt with, they're gone. That's why it's this continual separation that we constantly have been hearing and being constantly taught, being separated from what we're not continuously. And we can see the beauty and reality of that when we begin to look in the scriptures. And so here's the scriptures on this in 2 Corinthians. We'll read these verses and then we'll see what that word means. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and you can read that, the rest of that chapter that leads up to these verses. But you look at verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 1 and it says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, that's what's going on right now, by me and Sylvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, not I think so and then I changed my mind. It's not anything changing, but in him was what? Yes, it is, it's finished, it's amen. I am sealed, I am accepted, I am loved. That's a proper experience. He has to remove anything in us that interferes with that experience. And so that's why it's where obedience is. So he creates hunger in us to, and bring it to the point where we're helpless and hopeless in ourselves in every specific area as we grow. And then what does that do? He creates this hunger, and then what does that bring us to with our will? What should we do when we're helpless and hopeless in ourselves? When we're tired of obeying the lusts of the flesh, what do we do? With our will, we turn and what? Obey and receive that love for us. Now my experience is equal to my position, which means now I see myself as God sees me in Job 36 and verse 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. And that's that little man that we talked about, the little man that's in the center of his eye, the center of his view. That's each and every single one of us in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 10, in Psalm 17 and verse 8, and in Zechariah 2 verse 8. We all individually are that in his sight, but individually. No one can have that sight of who they are and who he's made them to be other than that individual in God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So we see again here in verse 20, for all the promises of God. How many? All the promises of God. What are the promises of God? Are there any conditions upon them? No, they're all unconditional promises, right? But but does that mean that I can take the promises that are finished in grace and still live in the flesh and experience the reality of them? The answer is no. The answer is no. And again, that's the sword of the Spirit. Okay, the Word of God, right? is living and powerful and sharper, and it's, it's, it, it was, does what? It separates self-conscious living in the flesh from God-conscious living in, in the spirit, and that's key, in the spirit. So here's what it says here. For all the promises of God in him are what? Yea, and in him what? Amen. Settled, it's over. Unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ... And has anointed us is God. Anointed there again is the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with him. That was the promise of the second comforter that, that Christ had was teaching his disciples in John 14, verse 16. That spirit, the Holy Spirit that would come and actually dwell in them. But that wouldn't happen until he would form the church in Acts the second chapter, which you and I are which is an an amazing thing when we understand this. So now, he which establishes us, and how does he establish us in Christ? What are we established on? What is a house that's built correctly established on? It's established on an immovable and unshakable foundation. Christ himself in Matthew 16 and verse 18, and and is, is he himself that foundation? And that's what Christ, that's what Paul Preached. He laid the foundation which was already laid in his preaching and teaching uh, under the inspiration and filling and moving of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. This is bringing out reality to us this morning and has anointed us. Have we all, do we all have that anointing in 1 John 2, 20? 1 John 2, 27? Yes, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what this is teaching us. Look at verse 22. Who also has what? Sealed us and given us what? The earnest. What's the earnest? My God, I don't know. Maybe that meant something way back in 1611 during the King James. It's, it's the down payment. It's proof. It's proof. What is the proof? Okay. Who has sealed us and given us what? The proof of the Spirit, the down payment of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not. And we won't go into that where he was dealing with them. Like we, like God always has to deal with us. He does. But it's God dealing with us, isn't it? It's God doing that. And, and he's doing it in what? Doing it in love. Because the seal is the proof that everything that God does with us even in the separation of the soul and the spirit, the flesh from the spirit, is done in love. And so now we even look at, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we know that if our earthly house, these physical bodies, this tabernacle were dissolved, which it'll go back to the dust in Genesis 3.19, because our bodies were created from the dust in Genesis 2.7, And so this earthly tabernacle is going to be dissolved. We have a building of God. We have these new glorified bodies. That's Philippians 3 
and verse 21. We're going to get these brand new glorified bodies. Okay? And so it's a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's, it's, that's going to fit us for our eternal uh, realm with Christ. We're going to have a body fit for that. Okay? For in this we groan. <laughs> for in this particular one, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our new body, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we will not be found naked. Again, this in type, it even goes back, you know, when they heard the voice of God in Genesis 3, 8, 8 through 12, and they were afraid because were they covered experientially? No, and so they were afraid, right? They were afraid. Now, verse 4 says this, for, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. We are. But what are we to do with those burdens that cause us to groan? Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, come unto him. Oh, you that labor and are groaning over areas in your own life and areas of others <laughs> that affected you, what do we do? Come to him. Right? That's why we always teach, even with our relationships with each other. If there's something that comes between those two individuals that are in Christ, who's the first one and only one they should go to? It's Christ. Then who should they go to? The other. Right? Period. That's protection, isn't it? It protects us. It protects them. It keeps Christ glorified. And it keeps the blessing to be restored. So here it is again. For in this we groan, so that we won't be found naked. But in this, in verse 4, we groan being burdened. Who's our burden bearer? 1 Peter 5, verse 7, he is our burden bearer. Psalm 55, in verse 22, he's our burden bearer. And, and, and the seal is the seal of his love that he has dealt with those burdens, so don't carry them, give them to him who already dealt with them. So uh, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that where it says mortal mortality, it's really incorruptibility. That corruptibility, I should say, that corruptibility may, may, might be swallowed up of life, which is incorruptibility. This life that we have in Christ, is there any corruption in it? Well, no wonder it says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Who's the first one that hears my thoughts? Who? It's God. Long before they're communicated. And then even when I do communicate them, Who's the first one that hears them? Does he know our thoughts in Psalm 139, verse 2, and Job 42 and verse 2 from afar off? does. And even when those thoughts on who we are in a proper image, is he waiting to condemn us? No, <laughs> he's waiting to be gracious. Here it is. That we may be swallowed up of that life, that love life, where there's no corruption in it. Now, why does it say in Ephesians 4.29, let no communication, let, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth with that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Why does it say in verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit? 
with which you are what? Sealed. Because you're functioning outside in reality of the love sealed about who you are in Christ. And that corruptness, that bad behavior, those sins keep him from revealing this reality in your experience. That's what Ephesians 4.29 and 4.30 is teaching us and teaching all of us. Now, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 5. Now, he that has wrought us for the selfsame thing, in other words, he that did all this work for each and every single one of us is who? God. Who also has given us what? The earnest, the earnest of what? the down payment of the Holy Spirit. And what is the proof of that down payment? Do you remember back in the days when you can see it? The king, he had a ring, right? And when he said something, to back it up, what did he do? He sealed it. It was an impress. We, God has impressed his love upon us, and nothing can change that. It won't change it. Do you remember even in John the Baptist before the king? And he, he really had a heart for John the Baptist, but the woman deceived him. And he said, okay, whoever did that, I'll put a seal. And, yet, and he couldn't change it. He didn't change it because that spoke of what? An unchangeable authority, an unchangeable truth, a seal. And so we can see this again in Ephesians, the first chapter. And this is what we see. And you can read that leading up to this. Verse 13 of Ephesians 1, it says, In whom, in whom, are we in him? Is that position? Right? That's positional reality. In him, proper image. Proper identity who I truly am. In him, you also, what? Trusted, you hoped, you believed that it was a guarantee. After that, you heard the word of truth. What is God constantly doing by teaching us constantly who we are? He's constantly constantly showing us in our experience who we are in our position. Now, for him to do that, he has to remove certain things that aren't of, of who we are in Christ that don't have to do with that seal. And so that's what it means when he has to create hunger in us. In areas that we function in self-help and self-hope, where there's still some hope and self in ourselves, in our plan, what does he have to do? What does he constantly have to do? He's constantly separating us from that. And that, again, is, is the sword that we go into with battle in this spiritual warfare that comes against us in Ephesians 6, 17. And again, it's that word in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. So this is what it says. In whom also you also trusted that you heard the word of truth. What are we doing? What are we hearing? The truth about who we truly are. The gospel of your what? Salvation. Have we been delivered? Have we been? In our position, have we been delivered from death, our sins? Has the enemy been robbed of his power? Yep. He's been, all of that's been dealt with. The seal's the proof of it, <laughs> of his love that did that for each of us individually. 
And so this is what it says, the gospel of what? Your salvation, your deliverance. You were what? What does it say there? You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Because all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are what? Settled. Yes, and settled. That's it. That settles it. Oh, I'm functioning in an area I know it's not of Christ. It's sin. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to confess it, God. I confess it. And uh, what a beautiful thing that we can do because we've been sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so is God the Holy Spirit that seal himself? God the Holy Spirit is. So each have a part in this, in this salvation that we have centered in Christ. God the Father gave Christ his Son in John 3.16, did. He laid his life down in John 15 and verse 13. He, he, we can perceive and understand. He laid his life down for us in 1 John 3 and verse 16. He did. He laid his life down for us. Why? Because he was what? For us. Without any question about it. Not against us, but for us. And so what do we see? He himself is that Holy Spirit. So God the Father gave the Son. And, the Son, and God the Father giving the Son for himself in, in Genesis 22, verse 8, then in that way, he could give, the Son gave himself to the Father. They were both one. I'm going to give you, Son, yes, and I know you, and I, and I say yes. And now they are one in John 10, 30, and the giving was God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. And guess who else seals that reality? God the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit involved in everything about us. And the Holy Spirit is the seal of that. Okay, so in, that, in the symbol of Scripture, what is it? What does the seal signify? What does it signify? A finished transaction. Jesus finished the work. Everything about us. He finished everything about us. Listen, are we already accepted in his beloved in Ephesians 1.6? Yes. That's right. Do I need any other acceptance? Do I? No. Now, when two believers both function in their own individuality in the acceptance of Christ, then they have an exchange, and what do we call that? That's fellowship. That's an exchange of a love life with a seal, and, an exchange, and it's all about what? Christ. That's what fellowship is. It's Christ. There's no proper worship unless Christ is the experience. There just wouldn't be. And there could not be. So, first of all, it, it what? It signifies a finished transaction. You see that in Jeremiah uh, 23 and verse 9. No, 32. Yeah, Jeremiah 32, verse 9. So love it when I get corrected by God, the Holy Spirit. Not that I ever need that. Any more than you, I need that. And we see that in John 17, verse 4. And we know that it's finished in John 19:30. The seal is, listen, it's finished. Christ finished it. The Holy Spirit's telling you, listen, you are finished. You are accepted. Stop trying to search it in someone else or something else. You are already accepted. In the love of his son, we see that 
He's made us meet, qualified us to walk in the light of that acceptance that Christ is in Colossians 1.12. Because we've been transliterated out of the kingdom of darkness, ignorance, rebellion, death, separation, into the kingdom, it says, of the love of his son. Huh? He wants to rule and reign over us with the authority of his love. And when that happens, what do we experience? Freedom and rest in a proper image and a proper identity. And so we see this again. The second thing it speaks of is ownership. Ownership. Do we now that we are owned, and here's the, here's the truth, truth of the fact that we are not our own. Here's the scriptures. Why so many scriptures? Because this is the full thought of God on this subject. And to be able to do that and, and to be able to receive it, the fact that, you, that everyone showed up is an is amazing thing. It really is. It's a big thing. Here's Ephesians, here is 1 Corinthians 6. <sighs> Boy, verse 19 says this. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Do I have the right to make my own decisions apart from Scripture? Apart from the obedience of known scripture, do I have that right in any area? So if that happens in any area, then can I have proper fellowship and a proper experience? I'm sealed, but do I experience it? No. It's, this, is, this is amazing. And you are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? God's. Are we free? God has freed us in Christ. Does that mean we have the freedom to do whatever we want outside the scriptures? And no one has a right to tell us any different. Oh, God. Help us, Lord, right? So it speaks of ownership. Again, that's even brought out again in Jeremiah 32 and verse 11. What is that bringing out? It's the proof of ownership. What does that mean? Watch what the scriptures say about it. Sorry, I have to turn to them again. <laughs> I have to say them just so I get God's full thought with you. And that's what's happening with me. I'm getting God's full thought with you. We're doing this together. And this is what it says. This is in 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. It's immovable. It's unchangeable. Having this what? Seal. Oh, boy. The Lord knows them that are his. He sealed them. He put his stamp of approval, satisfaction, where he's resting in his son, in the believer. Do you know that God is resting in his son in us? <laughs> Are we resting in the son? When we do, you know what we experience? An unbelievable, loving, affectionate father. Because that's what Christ brought us to in John 20, verse 17. He, he went to his father and his God in the most unique way that only he could. But in doing so, he went on to our Father and our God in that sense. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, immovable and unchangeable, having this seal. And you know, when 
when men seal something, how much more is it God? When he seals something, is there any change in it? Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord your God. I change not. You see it again in James 1, verse 17. And again in, Hebrew, in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because we, he sealed our yesterday. That past, we're not. He sealed that present, and we're on our way to the seal of our future, which proves we're already sealed. We don't have to be. I don't have to try and gain approval. I'm not trying to gain anyone's approval. God forbid that. The word is not preached at all for you to be approved by a certain man. I want to make that clear. It's very clear. Okay? So, again, the Lord knows them that are his by based upon the seal. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from what? Iniquity, self-will. No, self-rights. Self-preservation. That's what it's saying. Depart from iniquity. Why does it say that every man that names the name of Christ? It's everyone, it says. Each individual has a history of Christ. Listen, and it's going to be brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. That is a booklet I can't wait to fit completely finish about the hidden manna and the white stone. Each individual, what they have in Christ. We've shared on that, uh, and God has shared on that uh, with us with the word in the past. Let everyone that names the name of Christ, what? Depart, depart from iniquity, from self-will. Because who, whose will should my will be submitted to? Christ, who fulfilled all of God's will in John 4, verse 34. Does that mean I receive the obedience of Christ? No, it means I simply submit to him and he becomes my obedience through my will that's submitted to him. I don't take on his holiness, okay? He makes me holy. <laughs> kind of a bad truth about the whole holiness movement and, and so forth. But here again, seal. I want to just bring this, the Greek word about seal, what it says. I'll just give you some scriptures, even in the Old Testament, where it talks about a seal. Again, this is in 1 Kings 21 and verse 8. This is Nehemiah 9 and verse 38. This is Job 41 and verse 15. We talked about it and read it in Song of Solomon 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Set my love, my unchanging approval, satisfaction, and love on you about who I've made you to be. Set that constantly in your mind. And then your mind will direct your, your arm, and your arm will have the same seal no matter what you do. No matter what you do, a desire will be about me. It won't be about anything else. And so we can see that again. We see it again. So many different scriptures we don't have the time to bring out this morning, but in John 3, verse 33, it brings it out, the seal. It brings out the seal in Romans 4, verse 11. We didn't get to this one, but this one's great too. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 2, we see that none were touched through the whole tribulation period. In Revelations 9, verse 4, others were touched, but those that had the seal of God upon their forehead... <laughs> When you get into the understanding of the forehead, and we want to get into that at a particular time, which is proper image, 
which goes into the motor skills, and we don't have time to get, in, to get into those things this morning in depth. But boy, they are so incredible. But again, we see it again in John 6, verse 27. We see Christ himself was sealed. And are we in him? Yes. Seal. Again, we can see that. And I just want to read this one uh, very quickly as we close in, in uh, Romans, I believe it's the 15th chapter, verse 27 and 28. It says this, It has pleased them truly, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles had been made partakers of their spiritual things, right, their duty is also to minister to, unto them in carnal things. So in other words, the words preached, the words preached to you, the way that you minister back to God is to take care of their carnal things. But that's not what we want to get to. Here's the verse we want to get to, verse 28. When therefore I have performed this, notice that? When I perform this, when I'm obedient in this, listen, and have sealed to them this fruit. I'm, I'm experienced. <laughs> That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> it's where we get our English word when you study it out. Hilarious, right? Yes, it's literally, it's, you're so set free from self and you're just giving. You're not bound up, you're just giving. And you're so free just so free. And, and when you do, that's the fruit of a seal and an action of love in you in a proper image. It is just incredible. Uh, and so, what is it again? And have sealed to them this fruit. It's fruit. And it's amazing when we think about it. Here it is. You ready for this word in the Greek? Sphragizo. <laughs> it's quite a word. Sphragizo in the Greek. It's spelled S-P-H-R-A-G-I-Z-O. And this is what it means. It means to stamp. To stamp. Now listen, it says, with a signet, a private sealing. Do you know what that speaks of? That God has sealed each and every single one, each of us individually, stamped us individually as his. You're mine. I bought you. My love won you. You're mine. You're no longer your own. You'll never have any freedom unless you understand that you're mine. Constantly. Constantly. And so that's what it's teaching here. It's teaching. It's private. That goes into, he gives the stone to each individual. And on that, he inscribes a name that only... Christ who gives it, and that individual receives it. It's all about their stamped history in Revelations 2 and verse 17. It's very private. What that speaks of is we will all, as we've been taught this, we will all have fellowship in heaven. But the basis of our fellowship that we have with others can only be based upon the individual fellowship that we have in Christ. And that individual fellowship that we have in Christ, no one else will be able to have that but that individual in Christ. That becomes the means of even fellowshipping with each other. No wonder uh, in our relationship as believers in Christ that what keeps love flowing is this absolute forgiveness, right? So this is what it means here, this signet. It, it's we are sealed. And what is the seal teaching us? You're secure. You have security. 
He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's, that's John 6, 37 and verse 39. I am my Father. You're sealed. You can't, you're not getting out. I love you. You can't. No matter where you go, we said it the other day, no matter how far away you get in your experience from his love or ever, how close you are in the share and communion and intimate fellowship of that love, it's the same. That's Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. You'll see. You'll see. He loved the prodigal just as much when he was in his rags as when he took those rags away and put the robe on him. It didn't change. Something had to change in the prodigal. Something has to change in us, and that has to do with obedience and submission. So it speaks of security. You know what else it speaks of? Preservation. You're preserved. 1 John 5, 18, the wicked one touches us not. Can he touch our position? Can sin even touch my relationship with, with God, with Christ? No. Can it touch my fellowship, my experience? It does. So it literally means this also. It means to what? To keep secret. You know what that means? You know what it's saying there, to keep secret? Again, that goes into that white stone. This, is, this has to do, this is Christ saying, this has to do with me and this individual. We have this secret depth of fellowship. And no one else can have it like that individual with Christ. We can all have it with each other. But God designed us specifically with a beautiful design of an image that no one else has. It's just so amazing when we think of it. So it speaks of security and permanency. You can't change it. You can't change it. So two things the seal has proven to us. Number one, God's not changing his mind about you and I. John 10, 28 and 29, you are in my hand and no, no creature, not even yourself, can take yourself out. <laughs> you may think so in your experience. It doesn't change the reality of your position at all. So it speaks of an unchanging love, sealed. You know what else it's proof of? It's proof his love won't change for us and never will because God does God change who he is? Nope. But you know what else it proves? That the doom of Satan is fixed, certain, and sure. That's right. Wicked one touches us not. He can only touch our experience through based upon a lie. That's what he's separating from us. The lie of the flesh. You know, that's what he's doing with all of us. So that's what it speaks of. Listen, it stresses, that word seal, stresses the sacred form, the sacred formalities of that transaction and guarantees the full complement of the contents. God, it's so amazing. It speaks of, again, ownership and security together. And when I function properly, based upon my position, about the fact that I am owned by God and secure together, it leads me to a great hope, knowing that I'm destined to be with him forever. It speaks of destination, too. Ownership, security, and destination. Even when we read that verse, as we closed this morning, in 2 Corinthians 1.22, it is... It is the middle voice. Now, why? what is the middle voice? Remember, grace is always in the passive voice. You don't do anything. You just, what can I do? I can't do anything, so what should I do? Receive. How? With, my, with your will. Yes. I can't do anything. I can't get up. I can't move. What should I just receive? 
I receive. That's grace. Always in the passive voice. But when it talks about the Holy Spirit here in 2 Corinthians 1.22, when he seals us, when it says the middle voice, the middle voice is now, there's others that are participating in that. That's the individual. Because he'll give us the grace, the reality of that seal, that sealed us passively when we couldn't do anything. Now I continually receive it. Now I begin to participate. And, the, and that also goes into God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All have a particip participation in that sense. The middle voice, what is it? It intimates the special interest of God the Holy Spirit as the sealer. He has a deep special interest in you and me individually. And that's what it means when he takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us in John 16, 13, and 14. But it also, it's this, it, it is a special interest of the sealer in his act. How does God act? Does God ever act outside the action of his love? How does it flow? Through grace. When I receive it passively, now I begin to participate with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But he does the initiating. So what is it then? It's the, it's the action and operation of his love. That's the stamp. The stamp is, is what? The stamp impressed as a mark of privacy. You're his. You're his. I am his. And you know what else that seal always speaks of? What does it always speak of? Genuine. You are genuinely, nothing to be mixed with the love that he loves you with. And that's what he's taking out of our experience. Anything that is not of his love in us. So Father, we thank you so much for your love this morning. Thank you that you love us. And thank you, God, even when we don't feel it, it's a present reality. Because it's not based upon our feelings, good or bad. It's based upon a seal, an unchangeable proof of love. You have stamped your love, who you are, upon us. And we thank you through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.